Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.50 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Good Monday morning to you on this, the sixth day of February 2023. This is episode 667. Yep, it's the redemption episode of Bitcoin. And I'd like to talk to you about Nodestritch and Plebnet. Why? Well, because this shit's getting a little important. Um, now, how to preface this so I don't confuse the living daylights out of everybody uh, just right off the bat, because I know it's Monday and we're all coming off the weekend, right? So um, let me do it this way. Uh, let me just first describe what Plebnet and Nodestritch are, okay? Uh, they are groups of Lightning Network node runners Okay, people that are in control of their own Lightning Network node, right? And they've grouped together. Now, you might remember when I brought you news about Rings of Fire, the whole Ring of Fire uh, telegram group where people were getting together and they were opening up um, Lightning channels with each other and were doing it in, in certain geometrical patterns. And, and it's still going on. It's still great. But something occurred in the Lightning oh, Lightning Network. Amboss is a way to look into the Lightning Network and to query nodes, find out what they're doing, see what their liquidity looks like. So Amboss, it's I think it's like hold on, let me get to my my tab here. It's Amboss.space is where you want to go, and then. If you want to look at your node, you've got to have your pub key to enter into its search bar. Or if you've put an alias name on your node, which you can do, I won't get into to how right here, but you can actually name it a human readable name. Like my node's name is Bitcoin and podcast, all one word, right? If you type that into the search bar in amboss.space, you will go and get to the Bitcoin and podcast node, you will see that my total capacity is 23.3 million Satoshis. My largest channel is 5 million Satoshis. My oldest channel is one year and 324 days old. Coming up on, you know, almost a two-year-old channel. That's a long time to have a channel. But you get all this and more. But what I did not realize is that at one point or another, Amboss, and I don't know if they've always had this, but Amboss.space, either recently or some time that I wasn't watching, added the ability for you to build a group. And the only way that you can access the group is that somebody invites you to the group or, or you find that group's name. In this case, it would be Nodestritch or Plebnet. 
and you through the amboss.space website, you hit the little button that says request invitation or request uh, membership or something like that. I can't remember what it is. And then those groups will be notified. And if you get three other people, members of that group to, I don't know, ratify your membership, then your node becomes part of that group. So I'm now part of the node stretch group on amboss.space. And I, the thing that I think is important here is that we're, we're watching these groupings of people come together. At first it was just on Telegram and it was some, you know, the ring of fire guys. And, and, you know, they were building their, their community out on Telegram. Well, well now communities are able to be built out on, you know, a completely different platform. In this case, amboss.space. And amboss does a whole bunch of other stuff too look into this thing. It's really quite extensive as to how much information you can gather. Um, and I, th I think they actually like, there's a, like, I think Amboss uh, also sponsors a way for you to buy and sell lightning channels. I think I'm not exactly sure, but pretty sure that it does. Um, the, the whole point is right. That node stretch, which is N O D E S T R I C H. Okay, go and you can type that into the search bar in Amboss and you'll find somebody that's part of the group and you can go from there, okay? Um, NodeStretch has 56 members. The 56 Node Runners that are all talking to each other. And of course, there's a sidecar Telegram group. That's nodes, the NodeStretch you know, Telegram group. And then there's PlebNet. And PlebNet apparently has been going on for a while because it has 954 members. And all these people have the, you know, they have, because they're in part of a group and because this group, I can go to this website and just, I can see the listing of all the nodes there. Like Northern Lights is there. Node 42 is there. Uh, Lynn, uh, well, Mount Satmore is over there. And, you know, many, many others, like almost a thousand Lightning Network node runners have the ability to start, you know, get, because it's in a group, I can look at these node runners. And since I've been admitted to the group, there's a little bit of what? Uh, a little bit of uh, trust, a little bit more trustworthiness. That doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean that there can't be a scammer that gets in there, but it does take three other members to ratify your membership. So you're kind of being vouched for, if that makes sense. So there's a little bit more trust there that you're not going to get hosed down on somebody being, you know, being a bad actor on uh, pulling lightning channels away from your ass with a forced closure, right? Uh, if you have to, you have to, but if, if you're gonna be a bad actor that way, you probably get, you know, if you can get into the group, you can get kicked out of the group. So there's a level of protection or there's a level of trustworthiness. And I know, don't trust verify, I get it. But at one point or another, there's always some kind of an amount of trust. like when I buy the cold card hardware wallet, because I don't want to trust, I want to verify. And yet I got to trust Novak to build me a little machine that looks like a calculator that doesn't have a back door on it. You can't really ever get away from trust at one level or another, but that's, that's another, that's a whole other discussion. Uh, getting back to this, you know, I want to, now I want to turn this into why I think that this is important, right? So as you know, I'm, only active on Nostra, you know, on Nostra anymore. And I'm using Nostagram.co uh, for my web 
my web client to look into the Noster world, I've got a note up here. And so what I've done is I've just said there are 63 Bank of International Settlement member central banks in the entire world. Now, the BIS, the Bank of International Settlements, is the central bank of central banks. There are all a shit ton of central banks. Almost every country has their own quote unquote central bank, but only 63 out of something like 256 countries in the world has membership in a group. That group is called the BIS, the Bank of International Settlements, so that one central bank can talk to another central bank and the BIS acts as their central clearinghouse and their group. That's where they get their trustworthiness. They've got 63 members. Nodestrich has 55 or 56, somewhere around there. Plebnet has 954 Lightning Network node members. Guys, we're winning. We're, we've got more individuals representative of their own liquidity channels in these groups and that's just in these two, there's, you know, like what, nine, uh, there's 900, no, there's 1,010 or 1,009 total members between these two groups. And these are not the only groups that you can find on Amboss. All right. This is way more important than I think we let on to believe. And sure, the, you know, the, the obvious comeback to, to this statement is, Dude, there's only $120 million of liquidity in the Lightning Network. And there's way more Lightning Node Network runners than just what's in these two. I get that. I get that. It's not the liquidity standpoint that I'm looking at right now, although that's important and it shouldn't be, you know, waved away. Okay, it's that's a thing. $120 million of liquidity is, is nat snot in comparison to just one of the central banking members of the BIS. I want to be clear about that. But I also want to be clear about the fact that we're forming our own groups with the most sovereign money the world has ever seen that has an ease of use if you will just spend, you know, a few hours learning about some of this stuff, you know, and, and okay, well, it's not a few hours. It's more like, you know, a total of a hundred to really understand enough of what's going on to, you know, become aware of why you want to run your own Bitcoin full node. And the fact that you need one of those before you decide that you want to run your own lightning network node. And then you've got to figure out how to open channels. Yeah, I get it. There's work involved, but we've been taking the easy way out for so many generations that I think we forgot what work actually looks like. Do the work. You'll be rewarded. I swear to God, but it's work to do this. But once you figure out how to run a Bitcoin full node and you spin up your lightning node, now it's more, it's easier than ever to find channel partners that have a little bit more trustworthiness than just some Joe Schmo advertising their pub key for their lightning node out on Twitter or Noster or Mastodon and the Fediverse and all that, right? Don't, don't blink on this right? Go to amboss.space. That's spelled, by the way, amboss, 
A-M-B-O-S-S dot space, like mempool dot space, but this is amboss dot space. Start looking around at the groups. If you need to get a hold of me because I'm, I'm kicked off on, on Twitter, uh, the really the best way to get a hold of me is over the Noster network. Um, yes, I understand it's a little hard to find people right now. Again, that'll change, but we've got to do the work and we actually have to, you know, practice a modicum of patience. And if we can't do either one of those two things and or both, then, you know, we're doomed. I mean, my God, just have a, you know, I tell my kids all the time, can you just have like a little bit of patience and just wait for just like 10 minutes and I'll get to it? Yeah, patience and hard work is going to pay off on this. We're going to crush the BIS. When? Oh, I don't know. But it's coming. It's coming, guys. It's coming. So there's all that. Now, getting into the news, everybody is losing their ever-loving shit over ordinals and inscriptions. I get it. It's okay. There's no reason not to, you know, if you want to be angry about it, I'm not going to say that you're wrong for being angry about it. That's not, that ain't right. Okay. So I get that. But um, let me just kind of preface it with this way. I joined a, a Noster Spaces uh, Friday night and <laughs> there's a, some heat down, you know, heat up in there and it was good. It was a good discussion until the shit coiner just pissed me straight the fuck off and I bailed. And I'm not going to apologize for that either because why I'm not going to waste the few seconds that I have at any given moment of time on a guy who thinks that Bitcoin cash is still a thing. Not going to happen. I'm just not right. It's not like I'm, you know, like left in a huff because I was mad that I couldn't match his intellectual towering inferno of, of brilliance. No, I'm not going to waste my time on stupidity because stupid people have this getting into a fight with stupid people is always a bad idea. And I know he's stupid because he's, he's either a troll or he's really stupid. And if he really is into BCH and thinks it's just the, the, the shit, then that's stupidity. And you don't get into arguments with stupid people because they will drag you down to their level and they will beat you with experience. Yeah, that's why I don't, I just don't do it. I'm not in, in any other, you know, Noster spaces that I get into. The second somebody allows a shit coiner to spout off their bullshit on stage, I'm out. That juvenile, maybe. I don't care. I'm not wasting my time listening to stupid people. They always get you in trouble. Okay. So that's where that is. But the discussion before shit coinery happened was a good discussion about inscriptions and ordinals. And a lot of people in that room were getting a little aggravated with me because I was like, look, it's nothing you can do. And they had every right to be aggravated with me. Not at all, you know, not at all going after somebody, you know, I don't, I'm not going to shit on these people because they disagreed with me. I'm glad they disagreed with me. That made me happy. It means that I'm, you know, I'm not just, you know, I don't know what is those people that just try to please everybody. I can't please anybody on this one. Ordinals are a thing. 
the Bitcoin protocol allows for it. There's not much that can be done about it except to hard fork the chain and somehow or another introduce a piece of code that somehow doesn't allow for ordinals. And you know what'll happen? That'll either break something that does work that is necessary or, or it will, it will most and more likely it would introduce another sly roundabout way to fuck the Bitcoin chain. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that it's impossible. What I am saying is that it's improbable. So how to fight this? Well, let's, let's continue with our discussions on what are ordinals. I mean, if it's going to be here and it's going to piss you off, you should probably understand why it pisses you off so much. So let's do this one from Mark Goodwin, uh, Bitcoin Magazine. <clears throat> Ordinal. It's an adjective. Circa 1400, quote, regular, ordinary, well-regulated, proper. From the old French ordinal and directly from late Latin ordinalis, showing order, denoting an order of succession, and from Latin ordo, and the genitive is ordinis, which is row or series, meaning, quote, marking the place or position of an object in an order or series. That definition is from the 1590s. There are two kinds of numbers. There are ordinal numbers. There are cardinal numbers. Ordinal numbers denote rank or position in a system, while cardinal numbers tally how many units of something that there are. You can think of ordinals as the numbers or number used when communicating a runner's position in a race or even within driving directions. Take the third left. You can think of cardinals as the numbers used when counting how many jelly beans there are in that big jar at the fair. In Bitcoin terms, the blockchain's block height would be an ordinal number, the 10th block, whereas the amount of Satoshis in a transaction fee would be a cardinal number, say 1,000 sats. Ordinals, the protocol or whatever, is an open source project from Bitcoin developer Casey Rodarmer. I think that's how you pronounce it, Rod Armor, uh, consisting of two distinct parts, ordinal theory and inscriptions. So ordinal theory is, a, is an arbitrary but sensible framework for tracking the lineage of an individual Satoshi using an ordinal number it acquired at issuance. At the current block height, having had three halvings starting from 50 Bitcoin, when a valid block is found, the lucky miner may assign 625 million Satoshis to themselves in the Coinbase transactions, which has no input. At current difficulty, miners use this reserved but otherwise empty input as extra nonce space for hashing. The Bitcoin network is a series of peer-to-peer -peer databases full of integers that contain the current state of the protocol. You can think of ordinal theory as a conceptual social lens for all the numerical data presented in Bitcoin's blocks. By making arbitrary rules for viewing how individual Satoshis are theoretically distributed after Bitcoin transaction, ordinal theory simply suggests a singular perspective on interpreting Bitcoin explained in its index. Every Satoshi is given a unique ordinal number as early as the candidate block starting from zero and will continue until counting up 
to just below 2.1 quadrillion, with 100 million Satoshi groupings conventionally being referred to as, quote, a Bitcoin. This number is set at block issuance regardless of the incredibly rare but legitimate accounts of successful miners completing the block reward issuing Coinbase transaction output without a valid Bitcoin address. Every single Bitcoin transaction except this Coinbase transaction requires both an input and an output. Within a Bitcoin transaction, Satoshis from separate UTXOs or unspent transaction outputs are completely indistinguishable and thus atomically fungible when spent via the output address. Ordinal theory suggests purely socially that there is an order to the mechanism of distribution and Satoshis are sent in a first in first out manner and ordered by input. Due to this arbitrary logistical assumption, you could scan your Bitcoin wallet for UTXOs to try and locate rare ordinals. Rare ordinals are both direct from consensus itself, such as the first Satoshi in a block after a halving, a legendary ordinal, or even a particular Satoshi from a block issued at a time of personal events in your life. There is a Satoshi thus associated with every number from one to just about 2.1 quadrillion with all sorts of opportunities for numerical repetitions, unique integers, and interpretive iterations. An ordinal theorist could even hypothetically value the interpretation of, say, Satoshi 5,412,388 as its base 26 counterpart, block. That The word block is in quotes here. The recently released Ordinal 0.4.2 is a specialized Bitcoin wallet that programs a specific signing of a Bitcoin transaction using rules within protocol consensus to inscribe any kind of data into the witness sidechain. That is, of course, if it offers the market fee and propagates to a willing miner. This software enables, by ease of access, any willing buyer to purchase a ledger space, predominantly landing in the witness data. In 2017, SegWit, a Bitcoin software theorized by Peter Woola and Luke Dash Jr., among others, removed the signature data from the transactions in a block and placed them on a roughly 4 megabyte block extension. By introducing a new metric for block size in the form of weight units, SegWit created a, a distinction between bytes and vbytes. <clears throat> and in parentheses, he has four weight units in parentheses, limiting the max block weight roughly derived from taking four times the non-witness bytes and subtracting it from the total witness data. This was executed so that previous generations of Bitcoin software could still validate transactions, but in effect, increase the available block size by freeing up the one megabyte block limit set by Satoshi in late 2010. Now, SegWit was also constructed to solve a malleability attack by divorcing the witness data in order to preserve the transaction ID. The idea of this sidechain, economically, was to be discounted in the rate of Satoshis per vbytes to encourage slightly more complicated Bitcoin scripts to be run that traditionally have enabled scaling efforts. The Lightning Network itself requires HTLCs, or hash time locked contracts, to probabilistically enable trust in this exponentially more efficient shared UTXO payment channel. Now, Taproot, 
A 2021 Bitcoin Softwork enabled further opcodes and Merkleized alternative script trees, otherwise known as MASTs, with a transaction type called P2TR, or Pay to Taproot Script, as well as raising standardness bounds for data relay. While SegWit was a critical ledger state change when it created the Witness Data Block extension, Taproot was more of a systems update that unlocked potential scaling and privacy features. Both of these forks are necessary to the specifics of exactly how Ordinal 0.4.2 operates, but the ability to pay miners for block space to include arbitrary data in Bitcoin has existed since the Genesis block. This is perhaps most infamously done in the op underscore return, which allows spent outputs to display a message or encode a key in its available 40 bytes, leaving the UTXO unspendable, but easily prunable from the UTXO set. Now, the Ordinal software allows users to generate valid Bitcoin transactions that contain arbitrary to its own script data, such as text files, PNGs, or even a program script itself. These transactions are signed using this modified wallet software, Ordinal 0.4.2, in the form of an opcode envelope that is ultimately written within the transaction's witness data. This envelope is constructed using the opfail code, which by default does not push the code beneath it into the programming stack. The data for an inscription containing a file type data header and the file itself is thus placed within the opif instance below this doomed to run opcode and is sealed with the if ran end program op end f. Sorry, end if. Due to using this opcode, the inscription data is eventually entirely prunable from your own node and the necessary computation to validate a presumably expensive weighty script is potentially below even a single lightning channel open due to the block size being static since segwit implications on node runners fears of centralization due to increased cost to run a node are no more exacerbated than if blocks were simply routinely full perhaps even less Regardless, near-full blocks are an expected outcome of a successful Bitcoin network and one the network should be prepared for. Inscriptions are associated with a specific Satoshi from the transaction and thus could be partnered with one noted in ordinal theory. This simulated way to read the Bitcoin blockchain creates potential avenues for users to sentimentally value a single Satoshi over another. If the holder of said ordinal is willing to exchange it for more than singular Satoshi value, this could, in a specific sense, break fungibility. But again, that was always the case and entirely possible within localized exchange rates for fiat pairs, market arbitrage, a poorly programmed transaction, or even a naive peer-to-peer -peer barter. There is nothing about inscriptions or ordinal theory that causes any state change within the atomic principle of a Satoshi. It's purely a social lens. Privacy concerns resolve similarly. There is no molecular tracer within an inscription that tracks your individual SAT within the pure functional fungibility of a Bitcoin transaction. They all come out exactly the same, but you just happen to refer to one as such. 
you can spend an ordinal exactly as you would any other Satoshi. Bitcoin is a database with a specified consensus and there's nothing within ordinal theory nor inscriptions that violate those rules. But there is also nothing against consensus by running an adversarial node within a lightning route, gathering metadata for surveillance, pinning attacks, utilizing chain analysis software, or even a Bitcoin donation scam. The point being that the mere fact that something is a possibility or a possible use case for Bitcoin does not necessarily mean it is a net good for the users of the system. And yet Bitcoin is a system of rules, not biases and the arbiter of validity must remain the code. The nodes that inscribers have synced since the launch of Ordinal 0.4.2 contain the rules of what constitutes a valid block and the dynamic block space fee has set the truth-only market within its economic demands legitimately met. Inscriptions have a unique property of selective impermanence with the potential to utilize the database and increased market demand for Bitcoin, the asset in Bitcoin block space. The worst action to be taken would be one that hastily distorts the hard fought conditions currently set. Someone could have always simply bought every block in perpetuity. Someone could have always stuffed arbitrary data in clever transactions if they wanted to pay the fee. But why in the world would you waste your Satoshis doing that? you might accidentally spend a rare one. Okay, you can, this one is, this one is action packed. I get it. It's a, I mean, Mark Goodwin really lays out what the hell's going on here. This isn't something that you're gonna listen to once and just get it. I'm gonna have to read this thing 10 times, seriously. I'm, I mean, some of you probably already snagged it. You're smarter than me. Congrats. Not me, dude. I'm going to need to read this paper multiple times to get the hang of what the hell's going on because it's, like I said, bro, it's action-packed. But one thing that I, there's a couple things that I agree with him is that, you, honestly, we could have always been doing this. And, and when Rare Pepe's came up, people got pissed. And that was back in 2012 or 2013, well, 2015 maybe, somewhere around this when I started getting interested in Bitcoin. And thus, rare Pepe's were already a thing and people were pissed. They were like, you're writing arbitrary data into the blockchain and you're gonna fuck everything up and nothing is, nothing is broken, right? And I'm not trying to convince anybody here to not be angry about ordinals and inscriptions. We need people to be angry about them. We also probably need people to be happy about them so that there is always that tension. Because like, for instance, you know why power lines work? Like especially high, high transmission power lines. Do you know why those towers even stand up at all? It ain't really because they're, you know, <clears throat> bolted into cement pillars on the ground. You'd think that was it, but it's not. It's the tension of the wire. It's not, they don't arbitrarily just drape wire from tower to tower. No, they've got, uh, yeah, these in, th this is where electrical engineering comes in and a lot of it is mechanical engineering and they're not just draping this shit from tower to tower. No, they're tightening it up to a particular tension and that balances all of the towers that are on that chain. It also is one of those things where if they if they did it if they wanted to save money, they could tighten it up and make the the draping 
you know, the, the distance to the ground that you see that's uh, in between the towers, you know, how that's uh, the, the, the sag, right? If they were to tighten that up, they could probably save some money. But if they tighten it up too much, they're going to wreck the whole system. We need the tension. And that's all I'm going to say about that because we have yet another thing about ordinals, but this time, how does it affect mining? So here it is from Zach Vol, Bitcoin Magazine, how Bitcoin ordinals can change the future of mining. Okay, let's see what this one says. A specter is haunting the Bitcoin blockchain. Specter of JPEGs, oh my God. By using data storage features of the Bitcoin network that were introduced by the segregated witness upgrade in 2017 and the Taproot upgrade in 2021, Bitcoin node operators are stuffing images, GIFs, and other media files into Bitcoin blocks. All oh, the horror. In fact, one of these Bitcoin memes comprised the largest single block and largest transaction in Bitcoin history last week. This now famous block and transaction were mined by Luxor technology amid the ongoing Bitcoin NFT mini craze, which is centered around the NFT project ordinals. To say that inscribing memes on Bitcoin has divided the community is an understatement. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but this practice has also resurfaced a conversation of growing importance. Minor extractable value on Bitcoin. Readers will remember an article back in June of 2022 on this topic by this same author. Ordinals are Bitcoin data inscriptions that give miners a glimpse at what the future of Bitcoin MEV could be. This article revisits Bitcoin MEV in context of the latest controversy related to JPEG transactions. So here's the background. The Bitcoin network today is not a total MEV wasteland, but it's still very early. Quote, there's more minor extractable value on Bitcoin than Bitcoiners like to acknowledge, Robert Miller, product lead at Flashbot, said on a live stream about MEV. And there's some MEV in Bitcoin that just isn't really being exercised by miners right now. For example, Lisa Nugget, I guess that's how you pronounce her name, uh, a Lightning Network engineer at Blockstream, broadened the Bitcoin Overton window on MEV with an article about Lightning Network MEV. She theorized about opportunities for searchers and miners from Lightning Network use, and she considers how searchers on Bitcoin may impact on-chain transactions for Lightning Network channels for now. Most minor extractable value conversations center, center around non-Bitcoin networks like Ethereum, but a robust decentralized finance ecosystem built on Bitcoin can quickly change that. A sustained on-chain craze of NFT-related activity could have the same effect. For example, one particular well-known instance of NFT MEV on the Ethereum blockchain occurred when a searcher paid $7 million to buy every CryptoPunk NFT at their floor price. Whoa, I didn't even hear about that. Shit. <clears throat> Bitcoin historians know that on-chain collectibles and art originated on Bitcoin. In December of 2012, Many Rosenfeld published, quote, overview of colored coins, end quote, which explained that it is possible to color a set of coins to distinguish it from the rest, and NFTs were born. Now, I'm going to pause a little history lesson. I don't know if you guys know this, and I think I'm getting this right. Before Ethereum existed, Vitalik Buterin was a Bitcoiner, and he was working on colored coins alongside who? Jimmy Song. 
This is way back in the day, right? Vitalik is the one that got pissed off because something about what he wanted to do wasn't being accepted and he went off to make the mother asshole of all shit coinery. Um, but Jimmy Song was there too. He was working on colored coins. He mentions it every once in a while. This, you know, this, this was going on. 2012, guys, 2012. Anyway, getting back to it, Casey Rodimer kickstarted the modern era of Bitcoin NFTs with his Ordinals.com inscriptions project. In a blog post explaining inscriptions, Rodimer explained that, quote, inscriptions are digital artifacts native on the Bitcoin blockchain. They do not require a separate token, a sidechain, or changing Bitcoin, end quote. Images, audio, video, HTML, SVG, JS, CSS, anything can be an inscription transaction. Some node operators even inscribe seed phrases on the blockchain. <clears throat> yeah, I hope they're just fake. They're not somebody's actual seed phrases. Uh, Taproot, the highly anticipated Bitcoin upgrade that went live three days after Bitcoin notched its all-time high price of 69000 is largely credited with the ongoing burst in on-chain NFT activity in Bitcoin, but components of the protocol SegWit upgrade several years earlier created the landscape for excess data to be stuffed into Bitcoin blocks. Speaking candidly, Eric Wall wrote on Twitter that the entire craze is, quote, essentially possible by mistake, end quote. But several data points make it clear that this is a legitimate trend. One, Data shared by Acerus, a pseudonymous Bitcoin researcher, shows the first 435, quote, mistake NFTs on Bitcoin paid 15.3 million sats in fees and used 18.7 million bytes of space, which equates to roughly 218 blocks. In a single week, number two, in a single weekend, moreover, inscriptions push the average per V-byte fee from one Satoshi to 15. Third and final point, on-chain data compiled by another pseudonymous crypto researcher, Data Always, estimates over 2,000 ordinals have been minted on Bitcoin to date. On a relative basis, spikes in fees largely come from the fact that no one is trying hard to compress the sizes of their inscriptions due to ongoing low fees for Bitcoin transactions. But Rodimore noted on Twitter that rich formats, compression, and recursion slash composition all mean that meaningful inscription content may wind up being very small indeed. Excitement and controversy over ordinal surge after Luxor Technologies mined the largest block in Bitcoin's history that contained the largest transaction in Bitcoin's history, and it was an ordinal. In conjunction with longtime crypto investor and consultant, oh God, here it is, Udi Wertheimer, Luxor included the 3.94 megabyte transaction in block 774,628, which weighed 3.99 million weight units. The Bitcoin protocol limits block weights to 4 million weight units. <clears throat> what did Luxor inscribe? A modified version of the iconic magic internet money Bitcoin wizard that was created around 2013 in Microsoft Paint. Luxor's wizard, however, is evangelizing Taproot and magic internet JPEGs on the Bitcoin blockchain. In a blog post about Bitcoin NFTs and mining, Luxor's head of research, Colin Harper, said, quote, Ordinal NFTs are not going away. It's just a matter of how much of an impact they make, end quote. For every person who thinks Ordinal's project is exciting and entertaining, 
At least one Bitcoin enthusiast is staunchly opposed to the idea. A multitude of leading voices from the Twitter-based Bitcoin community have pulled no punches, expressing their view of stuffing JPEGs into Bitcoin blocks. For example, a notorious Bitcoin polemicist who used the pseudonym Mr. Hoddle, I know this guy, he's cool, expressed his disapproval of ordinals by saying, quote, I'd censored the shit out of anyone that clogged up the chain, end quote. Blockstream CEO Adam Beck also reminded his followers in a now-deleted tweet that these Bitcoin-embedded NFTs are fair game for miners to censor the crap as a form of discouragement. Bitcoin Twitter personality Pierre Rochard joined the melee by suggesting uh, with apparent snark that node operators who inscribed an NFT on Bitcoin should apologize to your node and don't do it again. <laughs> End quote. Jimmy Song... Uh, aforementioned Jimmy Song, former partner at crypto fund blockchain capital and a former advisor to the now shuttered crypto exchange LVL simply tweeted, quote, Luxor will be punished by the market, end quote. Alex DeVries, a longtime Bitcoin cynic and purported environmentalist, joined these pro-Bitcoin personalities in their harsh criticism of ordinals. Taking to LinkedIn, DeVries claimed that the carbon footprint of the most famous block mined by Luxor was equivalent to the per-passenger carbon footprint of taking a flight from New York to Tokyo and back 446 times. That's complete bullshit. I'm not even really on Ordinal's side, but that's a fucking lie. Stop it. All right, you've got to call this shit out the second that you see it. Alex DeVries is a liar. He's lying. There's no way, there's no way that block was going to be minted with or without 3.94 megabytes of data. And it was going to take the exact same amount of energy to do it. This is a bullshit, environmentalist, greeny, long-haired, hippie, tree-hugging bullshit argument. And it should be called out every single time you see it. So I just called out Alex DeVries as being a liar. I'm not going to apologize for it. Oh, and it also says here in, in, in parentheses, it should be noted that DeVries is not known for his intellectual rigor. Yeah, no shit, dude. Like I said, don't argue with stupid people. They drag you to their level and beat you with experience. But on a slightly more technical level, Luke Das Jr., creator of the Bitcoin Knots client and an outspoken Ordinal critic, wrote on Twitter that Ordinals are only possible because Bitcoin users are lying and tricking the code. Bob McElrath, a longtime Bitcoin consultant and blockchain developer, also suggested that inscriptions compromise Bitcoin censorship-resistant qualities when he slammed Luxor for using Bitcoin as a bathroom wall. <laughs> Oh boy. As broader excitement around ordinals grew, Rochard also expressed his desire to change or to change to Bitcoin consensus or the Bitcoin consensus by altering validation rules such that inscriptions would no longer be possible. This is a terrible idea. Do you have any idea how on point? See this, uh, I might have to not actually even say this. I'm going to, I'm going to, highlight that and maybe it'll maybe I can remember to come back to it. I mean, that's just that really that that really bugs me and I like Pierre Rochard a lot. But even Pierre knows that changing the Bitcoin code to get rid of something that you don't like 
could open up the possibilities for something that is way worse. I don't like this. And honestly, if this shit doesn't stop, we're, we might end up in another hard fork territory like 2017. I don't want to see that shit happen. Now, now I'm just going to go on. We'll come back to it. Pseudonymous Bitcoin Core contributor, oh, 144400000 bytes, summarized criticism of ordinals by tweeting, quote, it seems some Bitcoiners just discovered that Bitcoin can also be used by people they don't like, end quote. Okay, so... How do polarizing NFTs from a taproot, quote, accident affect MEV? Well, that's a great question. Size and types of revenue for miner of any blockchain grow as demand for block space increases and the number of applications with real users increases. For now, Bitcoin block space is demanded by users who spend UTXOs, but ordinals give a glimpse of a future where other Bitcoin users introduce creative reasons to demand the same space which forces these competing users to meet in the fee market for the limited space inside of a block. Ordinal's critics have seemingly unintentionally highlighted this benefit to miners. Inscribers, quote, would need to bribe the shit out of me to mine those transactions, said Mr. Hoddle in a tweet. These bribes, commonly called transaction fees, could be paid in different ways. Of course, an inscriber could attach an elevated fee to their transaction, incentivizing a miner to include it in a block. Or an out-of-band payment, which are fees paid outside of the network's typical process for collecting fees, could be coordinated between a transactor and a block builder. Rochard, who indirectly dismissed ordinals as an an immoral waste of resources later said ordinal creators should pay up or shut up and they are paying at least since ordinals appeared on the bitcoin scene inscribers are already paying handsomely for their data to be fit into new blocks for example one bitcoin user paid 200 dollars to inscribe a gif of the nyan cat that's just somebody who hates money, honestly. And as other ordinal NFT projects launch on Bitcoin, the extractable value for miners from this on-chain activity will certainly increase. Bitcoin, however, does not care. Bitcoin ordinals spawned a wave of creativity and controversy that could persist indefinitely. These digital collectibles mark, quote, the latest fault line in the re-envisioning of what the Bitcoin philosophy can and should be said Coindesk TV host Zach Seward. Plenty of Bitcoin users hate ordinals. Lots more enjoy them. Well, I don't know. I don't know about that. That's not a statement that I think anybody can plausibly make. Uh, more enjoy them than hate them? You don't know that. I don't know that. I also can't say that more people hate them than enjoy them, although my, <laughs> my experience is that that is the case, but I don't know. I can't prove that. I haven't taken a fucking poll or a census. Nobody will. There's no way to say that shit. So stop saying shit like that. Ultimately, Bitcoin doesn't care. But in the depths of a turbulent bear market, an objectively intriguing alternative use for Bitcoin block space, the creativity surrounding this use case, and the opportunities for minor extractable value, this craze hints at should not be ignored. Everyone does not need to be an inscriber, but they should pay attention. Now that I do agree with. We need to be paying rapt attention to this, ladies and gentlemen. Why? Because this could cause another rift. I don't, I'm not 
projecting or, or predicting that it will. I'm just saying that this is the kind of shit that I've seen in the past and it always leads to really bad shit happening like the creation of BCH, which then went on to spawn BSV, which helped fund Calvin Air and his little bitch boy, Craig Wright, to make trouble for people around the world. I don't want to see that shit happen again, but it kind of looks like it might be happening again. And I, I don't have the power to stop it. It's not in my circle of influence. If you want me to go ahead and say it, sure, I'll say it. Hey guys, stop using ordinals. Stop doing it. I don't think that's going to be very effective. I don't think that's going to be very effective at all. Now, what about this, this line that, that I highlighted earlier? Rochard expressed his desire to change the Bitcoin consensus by altering validation rules such that inscriptions are impossible. This type of thing has been possible since colored coins, rare pepes. If you think you're going to be able to write a rule that somehow or another limits the entire future use case of Bitcoin to never include something that we think is stupid is flat impossible. You can't do it. There's no way. And it ups- not upsets me. I, I don't know why Pierre Richard, because he's one of the smartest people that, that I've come to know in the Bitcoin space, would say something like this. You know better, man. Unless you've got fucking code, like a, like a pull request was like that you fixed it. Then honestly, I don't see where it is you're coming from. You know better than this, Pierre. Come on, man. Now, again, I... I am 100% uninterested in inscribing any Satoshi anywhere ever, infinity, period. I think it's stupid. I think the dude that spent $200 of fiat money, even even though that we all hate fiat money, just basically put it into a brown paper bag, soaked it in diesel, lit it on fire, and threw it out the window because he put the Nyan cat into into, the blockchain space. Okay, that... That's dumb, but it's not going to affect me to be able to interact with Bitcoin. Your immediate response to that statement should be, yeah, but it will. I don't know. I can't tell you that you're wrong if you say that. And I can't tell you that I'm right if I say that it will never. Nobody knows how this is going to go. But if we're not paying attention, which is what Zach Vol is suggesting, and I agree, we need to pay attention so that we understand where this is going. We understand where, if any, fracture points really start to hit, and we keep our eye on the actors in the space, what their motivations are, what their incentives are, and make our own decisions from there. But until that time, we got to run the numbers. All right, energy markets, uh, well, they're doing their thing. This time, most of them are up 0.65%. 
rise in West Texas Intermediate brings it to $73.88. Brent North Sea, almost a full point increase back up to $80.72 a barrel. Natural gas, however, still dipping uh, half a point to the downside to a point three nine United States dollars for a thousand cubic feet of the smelly gas. Gasoline itself, however, is up two full points to $2.36 a gallon. Metal rocks not doing well, except for gold, up a quarter of a point to $1,880.70. Silver's down two-thirds of a point, platinum down a third, copper down a half, palladium is down two and one-third points. Uh, We got the Dow down, eh, it's awful slightly, 0.14%. S&P is down a full two-thirds of a point, NASDAQ down almost a full point, and the S&P mini over a full point, in fact, a point and a quarter to the downside. And I forgot ag. Ag is mostly down. The biggest winner is coffee, two points to the upside, followed by chocolate, a half point to the upside. Biggest loser today is going to be sugar, 2.73% to the downside, which means that it's going to be cheaper to put into your food and poison your children. But real money doesn't care. $23,061.60. Had a 266000 uh, Bitcoin sent in 303,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. Uh, average transaction value is kind of low today, 0.87 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.013 BTC. That is under $300, dude, 289 bucks. Block times are still chilling out at around 10 minutes and 13 seconds. We've had 0.12 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. And even with all the ordinal shit going on, there's only been 18.15 BTC taken in fees over on the last 24 hours. With a 3.74% dip in hash rate, we're down to 278.37 exahashes per second, which is way more security than you might think we actually need. Now, Doge, rocking. Hate to say it, so your shit coins are, nobody, nobody's learning. Nobody's learning their lessons. They still want the next Bitcoin because Dogecoin is at 9.2 United States pennies. 19, nope, nope, sorry, 12,000. 12,367 transactions waiting on 19 blocks to clear. We've got a $442.9 billion market cap. That is 3.57% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may spend your one Bitcoin buying 12.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks and you're going to use one of 19,283,096.42 BTC to do it and 5,356.94 of those sons of bitches are locked up in the lightning network valued at $123 million being run over 16,073 nodes sporting 76,439 payment channels and 68.8% of all that is being run over Tor. That's going to do it for vitals. Welcome back to the news that you can use. We're starting this one off with Coindesk, Helen Braun writing it, Binance to suspend United States dollar bank transfers this week. <gasps> the horror, oh my God. Crypto exchange Binance is, oh, I love this. Temporarily suspending US dollar bank transfers starting on Wednesday, the company confirmed to Coindesk on Monday, quote, We are temporarily suspending USD bank transfers as of February the 8th. 
Affected customers are being notified directly, a Binance spokesperson said, noting that just 0.01% of monthly active users use USD bank transfers. Quote, in the interim, all other methods of buying and selling crypto remain unaffected, including bank transfer using one one of the other fiat currencies supported by Binance, including euros, buying and selling crypto via credit card, debit card, Google Pay, Apple Pay, and via our Binance P2P marketplace, the spokesperson added. What's funny about the sentence that says, we are temporarily suspending USD bank transfers? Who does that sound like to you? It sounds like President Richard M. Nixon. We are temporarily suspending redemption of gold. Remember that? It was supposed to be temporary. I'm going to make the prediction. Binance is never going to allow USD bank transfer ever again. I hope I'm wrong. You know, if you guys need to use Binance to get to buy Bitcoin with, uh, I, I do hope I'm wrong, but I don't know. Something about this stinks. And honestly, from the perspective of CZ and Binance as a company, I actually wouldn't want to deal with United States banking and the United States at all. I, one wrong move and they come snatch you out of bed anywhere the hell you are if, you, if they can prove you affected a United States citizen. So I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to do it either. So I'm, I, don't bl- I don't blame them. I honestly don't blame them. China though. Jesse Coughlin's going to tell us about China, Cointelegraph. China apparently has doled out millions in digital yuan in a bid to boost adoption. Millions of dollars worth of China's central bank digital currency has been handed out across the country over the Lunar New Year period in a bid to boost its uptake. According to a February 6th report in Global Times, the English language outlet of the state, the state RU People's Daily Newspaper, Around 200 activities for the ECNY were launched across the country during the holiday period. These activities aim to promote consumption, the first time the government has done so since recently relaxing COVID-19 restrictions. Multiple cities reportedly gave away over 180 million won, which is worth two to uh, sorry, $26.5 million worth of CBDC in programs such as subsidies and consumption coupons. Yay! <laughs> in one example cited by the outlet, the Shenzhen local government handed out over 100 million won, $14.7 million worth of ECNY to subsidize the city's catering industry. A February 1st China Daily report said Hangzhou issued each resident an 81 or about $12 worth of ECNY vouchers on January the 16th. The total giveaway cost the city about 4 million won. Some of these initiatives proved to be very popular among residents. That's not good news. Citing data from the e-commerce platform Metuan, the Global Times reported, report stated that ECNY given away by the Hangzhou city government for the New Year celebrations were taken up by residents within nine seconds. The last few months has seen the government enact other targets and features to boost the usage of their shitty ass CBDC. On February the 1st, senior ruling party officials in the city of Shizhou set a tentative key performance indicator for the end of 2023 of having 2 trillion won worth of ECNY transactions in the city. That would be around $300 billion worth. 
The target is ambitious, considering cumulative EC and Y transactions only crossed 100 billion won, uh, which is 14 billion US in October, and that's two full years after the CBDC's launch. In a bid to attract new users, in late December last year, the ECNY wallet app introduced the ability to send red packets called Hongbao in China, which is used for gifting money around the holidays. The wallet app also received an update in early January, allowing users to make contractless, oh, sorry, contactless payments using Android phones, even if their device is without internet or power. In December, a former Chinese central banker called the results of the ECNY trials, quote, not ideal, and admitted, quote, usage has been low, highly inactive. Okay, so well, what is it? I mean, they uptook this shit in nine seconds, but all of a sudden, it, it's, you know, it used to be not ideal, but no, but the Lunar New Year hit, and now nine seconds, and all the citizens just... Just sucked it all up. I don't know. I'm calling bullshit. And the reason I call bullshit is not because I have any proof. And this actually isn't a gut reaction. It's that I'm so used to governments lying to everybody, whether it's their own citizenry, to each other, to other governments, to other government citizenry, that my default action when somebody says, you know, a government says, look what we did and people love it is to call absolute extreme bullshit. It's bullshit. I don't believe you. And I also don't believe Elon Musk because he says that Twitter is going to share ad revenue with creators. Bullshit. Decrypt.co, Kate Irwin. Twitter will now begin sharing an undisclosed amount of its ad revenue with content creators when ad appears in their replies, Twitter CEO Elon Musk said on Friday. Musk added that only accounts currently subscribed to Twitter Blue will be eligible to earn revenue from their reply section ads, meaning that it will cost users roughly eight bucks a month month to monetize content in this way. While there's currently no official statement from Twitter regarding the use of crypto in its payments or monetization plans, the Financial Times reported earlier this week that Musk intends to keep that option on the table. Musk did not share further details on the ad revenue split between Twitter and its creator, creators, but he did make a point to criticize, yet again, the legacy verification system at Twitter. And he says, uh, they got a tweet from him. What does he say? Starting today, Twitter will share ad revenue with creators for ads that appear in the reply threads. Okay, whatever. Prior to Musk's takeover, celebrities, journalists, government officials, businesses, and other public figures were eligible for Twitter's coveted blue check mark if they applied with supporting documentation proving their eligibility. But Musk has continuously decried that process. Quote, Twitter's legacy blue verified is unfortunately deeply corrupted. So will sunset in a few months. Oh, that's going to piss them off. Oh man, the blue checks are going to lose their mind. Uh, Musk's latest ad revenue announcement immediately drew numerous questions and concerns from users, many of whom asked for more details so that they could weigh the cost-benefit analysis of paying $8 a month to make an undisclosed, likely smaller amount of money in return. <laughs> and, uh, Coffee uh, is a Twitter user that is replying to Elon Musk's announcement. And he says, wow, so we got to pay to get paid? Yeah, no shit. To the average creator, the cost of buying ads on Twitter is extremely opaque. As Twitter says, advertising costs per post are priced 
in an auction model. Quote, the targeting, creatives, and bid you select in your campaign setup will help determine how much each billable action costs. Twitter's ad helps center reads. But whether such ads would even be profitable for smaller creators isn't the only possible issue with Musk's plan. Twitter, Alec, or Twitter user Alex Buck, who works in media, argued that reply ads are actually riskier for brands than placing ads between tweets. Quote, most brands and agencies opt to avoid replies and search result placement simply due to brand safety concerns, Buck said. Others, like USC philosophy PhD student Krista Peterson, argues that the ads in tweet replies are maddening. Clearly, Peterson's not alone, as the tweet has already garnered over 75,000 likes. <laughs> Since Musk joined Twitter in late October, the social media site, I guess, joined? No, you mean bought, dude. The social media site has lost 50% of its top advertisers, which had previously spent $2 billion in ads in the past two years. And last month, the information reported that Twitter's advertising business is not yet showing signs of improvement with the largest ad buying company reducing its Twitter ad spending by 40 to 50%. Twitter's ad revenue has been historically essential to its business with an Axios graphic showing that ads make up approximately 90% of Twitter's revenue. Besides Musk's ongoing efforts to revitalize Twitter's ad business and share an unknown fraction of that with creators, the company appears to be pushing forward with its payment products, on Monday, Financial Times reported that Musk has asked engineers to build out its payments system in fiat, but wants a crypto option to be technically possible down the line. It already is. We call it lightning. Just fucking integrate it, dude. Whatever. While there's currently no evidence that Twitter will be adding crypto payments to its Twitter coins plan, the price of Dogecoin, Musk's preferred cryptocurrency, pumped earlier this week following the news. Well, of course it did. Of course it did. Because Twitter and Elon now are both about as unethical as you can get. You know how many people I'm seeing just flood in to Noster from Twitter? And like, and I mean, I see, I see all manner of notes in Noster that say something akin to the following. Yeah, I just use Twitter now every once in a while and I don't even really use it. I scan it. I go up. I look down. I get pissed and immediately close the app and come back to Noster. Other people will say something like, you know, since joining Noster, I, I spend less and less time on Twitter and I feel better. And other people will say, you know, I have said, uh, there was one statement, one note in Noster that I saw that was really interesting because it was just one sentence and it said, the algorithm made us cruel. Probably not wrong. Probably not wrong. Uh, there's, there's no enforceable algorithm on Noster. Best you can do is find a client that has like some filters, but you get to apply that shit. Now, if you're, if for whatever reason, and, and it'll happen, Noster client will come around and they'll force an algorithm on you. If you want to use it, if you know, if that's your deal, well then by all means go right ahead. That's your choice. You can have, you have the choice to use a different client that doesn't force you into an algorithm. I'm just saying that there's a lot of people that are arguing that uh, Noster is, is just going to die because, because Twitter. And I don't think that's true, but I don't think Twitter is going to die because Noster. 
However, as time goes on, here's what I see. I see a bunch of journalists and government officials and VC corporate finance bros all yelling about stupid shit at each other in Twitter. And most of the people that matter, that really actually matter, aren't listening to it. We've, we left them in the room all by themselves and they never noticed that we left because they never thought we were important to begin with when in fact we were the most important people in a room full of VCs, government officials, bankers, and fucking journalists. Because without us, their entire existence doesn't matter. Yes, Twitter will survive. And I get the feeling it will be exactly that. It'll be just this constant food fight between people that think we're listening, but don't realize that we haven't heard a word they've said in two years. And I'm, I'm, I'm here for it, bro. And you know who else is here for something? FTX. They want politicians, political action committees to return the donations and they may sue them to get the money. Andrew Bogansky writes it for Decrypt.co. FTX told the political world Sunday, the bankrupt crypto exchange wants its money back. After millions of dollars flowed into the hands of candidates and action committees under the direction of founder and former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried and others in his regime. Newly appointed CEO John J. Ray III, who was installed to oversee the Chapter 11 bankruptcy after it collapsed in November, had previously said that donations linked to the exchange should be returned. But Sunday's statement was firmer requesting contributions or other payments to be returned by February the 28th and echoing a previous warning that the company would go after funds not returned voluntarily through legal means, quote, with interest accruing from the date any action is commenced, end quote. I wonder what that interest rate's going to be. Quote, the FTX debtors are sending confidential messages to political figures, political action funds, and other recipients of contributions or other payments, the press release states. The company also reiterated that recipients who donated funds connected to FTX to third parties like charities are not off the hook, and that the company will seek to recover the money regardless. FTX, once valued at $32 billion, filed for bankruptcy. Yes, we know all that. Is there anything new here? Uh, Empire imploded, disgraced crypto mogul. All my Republican donations were dark. Nah, we don't need the rest of this. Uh, well, let's do this one, this part of the story because they were just recapping what happened to FTX. We all know that. A public spreadsheet maintained by OpenSecrets.org, a nonprofit that monitors U.S. campaign finance and lobbying, has tracked more than $84 million in donations to political candidates and organizations between Bankman Fried uh, and FTX's former head of engineering, Nashad Singh. Last month, documents filed with the Federal Election Committee revealed multiple high-level employees that had worked for FTX maxed out campaign donations to George Santos, uh, the congressman that faces public scrutiny for statements about his past that are allegedly false. And some politicians have moved to return funds they received from Bankman-Fried, such as former rep Beto O'Rourke, who said he returned a $1 million donation just before the exchange filed for bankruptcy. 
Other officials, including Senator Dick Durbin and Senator Kristen Gillibrand, have stated they'll make donations to charities in amounts that match funds they received in connection to FTX. The offices of Senators Durbin and Gillibrand did not immediately respond for a request for comment, but the extent to which candidates and political groups benefited from FTX and its affiliates may not become entirely clear until after the newly established deadline, depending on what actions the bankrupt exchange will take. Now, if you've heard this show over the last couple of months, you've heard me rail about how it's <clears throat> that I think that the political donations being made by these bad actors to charities, I'll guarantee you that those charities, they've got their thumb in that pie somehow. It's either their own charity, their good friend's charity, and some way they were going to be able to get that money to circle back to their ass. If John J. Ray the third doesn't mysteriously fall out of a 42nd, story window and he actually makes good on his threats he may uncover something that they really don't want uncovered and i mean honestly i applaud the man for saying nope fuck you even if you send it to charity that's the money that is owed to the creditors of ftx and i am on their side i'm not on your side you will either return the money by getting it back from the charity, or you will pony up your own goddamn money so that we get it back, and then you can just say that you donated your money to that charity. Whatever you want to do, but we're getting our money back. So maybe there's a smidgen of justice that might actually fucking occur. And if that justice is only to embarrass the living crap to the point that some of these politicians have to resign. I am here for it. I'm here for it. But that is the end of the morning roundup. Can't let you go without a joke. Dad says jokes. I asked my phone, Siri, why am I so bad with women? She said, I'm Alexa, you moron. The name is the thing. And that's what we learned today. I learned a lot about ordinals. Fungibility. What is it that that poem thing that everybody always recites? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Uh, I'm not exactly sure I ever bought that Shakespeare, but uh, I mean, I get the sentiment, but I, if, when, when it comes to fungibility, the name is sort of the thing. And, you know, like a, a named Satoshi that is named differently than another Satoshi and that somehow name socially imparts more value to one than the other is, well, I'll say it, it's an attack on fungibility. My problem is, is like, We've got two major pieces of equipment that enabled ordinals and inscriptions. One is SegWit, which was a hard fought battle in 2017. And if you weren't around at that time, it sucked. It was like getting gut punched or a, a swift kick in the crotch, honestly. It was bad time. It was a bear market. It was, it was, it was just bad. I mean, it was just, it was really, really, really bad. It threatened everything. 
You know, and it's like, and we had the New York agreement at the same time that they didn't want SegWit. We knew that SegWit fixed a malleability issue with transactions, and that would be the only way that we would have other stuff to do, like multi-sig stuff. I mean, unchained capitals, you know, custody model is allowing people to have them as a one of N key holder so that I can like you utilize them in case I lose one of my keys in a three of five setup. They go, well, no, we got you. It's like, as long as you've got, as long as you've got two of five, we've got, we, we've got your back. We've got a third one for you. Well, all that shit wouldn't be possible without SegWit. And four megabyte blocks wouldn't be possible without SegWit. And then comes along Taproot, which does a whole bunch of other stuff. But at that point, that unlocked the door. Without those two pieces of equipment in place and live in the Bitcoin protocol, you don't have ordinals. So would we just have to, you know, remove Taproot altogether? Is, is that what uh, Pierre Rochard wants to do? If, you know, I think it's a bad deal because then people, I mean, at that point, people still have SegWit. You can still write shit into the witness data segment of a SegWit transaction. So do we remove SegWit? Well, you can kiss Unchained Capital goodbye and all your multi-sig no, doesn't work no more because we go back to transaction malleability. So I think what's going to end up happening is that there's going to be a hard fork. And I further think that I'm probably going to stay on this particular chain. Now, if they do a, if they do it right, the people that initiate the hard fork of Bitcoin will have to take a snapshot of everything that's gone on since then. And if you already hold this, we've been through this before. It's like Peter Pan. All this has happened before and all this will happen again. They'll take a snapshot. And if you hold Bitcoin at, at the time of the snapshot, then you'll get the same amount of their version of the Bitcoin token. And if they do it, I hope that they go in and, and again, all this happened before, all this going to happen again, that they make sure that those transactions aren't, oh, there's a word for it. What's the name of it? Uh, replay attack. They have to have a different address uh, type so that they can't have replay attacks. And we'll, we won't get into that. But I get the feeling that there's going to be a hard fork. And I'm not happy about it at all. We've already done this once. And it was, like I said, it was beyond no fun. Lots of friends were lost on those, on that day. Well, during those weeks and, you know, months and the, actually it was a full year of like exactly a full year of hardcore debating and battling and yelling and screaming and name calling you know, and that's where, where Roger Ver became Bitcoin Judas and not Bitcoin G Jesus. And he was, I mean, it's, you may hate him, but he was the old guard. Him, Andreas Antonopoulos, and a whole bunch of other cats out there, you know, they were old guard Bitcoin. And a lot of them fell by the wayside during the Segwit War. Now, thankfully, a lot of people didn't really have any problems with Taproot. But now, now... Taproot has enabled something that does. See how this has all happened before and this will all happen again. This is all, nature is very fractal. 
in the way that she presents us with issues. Don't be fooled. This, this is not leading to something that's going to be filled with roses and daisies and, you know, a bucket full of flowers and little, you know, flower girls in pretty dresses walking down the aisle, putting petals in front of the bridegroom and the bride while they walk up to get hitched. No, this is more, I see this more as a divorce court than a marriage. And I guess, I guess be very careful about your relationships that you have right now that are good with people that find themselves on the other side of what you think ordinals are. If you think they're good and you're friends with somebody who thinks they're bad, understand that there may be an an irreparable rift that forms between you two if you are not careful how you handle the situation. I'm going to, I mean, people that walk in the middle of the road like I'm going to try to do eventually get squished. I mean, at one point or another, I'll have to take a side. I took a side before SegWit was activated that I, I took the SegWit side. That was UASF, User Activated Soft Fork, where we told the New York agreement guys that we weren't going to uh, validate any of their transactions on their chain with our nodes. And it worked. And the miners folded. All the VCs and the, the companies that thought they controlled Bitcoin folded like a cheap suit that they wear. I don't know what this one's going to look like. This one, elements about it seem similar, uh, but it also seems there's also enough about it that seems different that I don't know what's going to happen here, but I, I'm pretty sure that it's not going to be pleasant. So the most important thing I think to wrap our heads around is how do we conduct ourselves with our friends that we have right now that are also Bitcoiners that are on the opposite side of whatever it is you believe about ordinals and inscriptions? How do we maintain those relationships to the highest quality degree that we can, even though we are on opposite sides of the fence and not allow what happened socially happen again. And what happened socially during UASF and SegWit and and the New York agreement, not let that happen again from a social standpoint. I still think there will be a hard fork. So from a technical standpoint, there will be a rift, but how do we maintain the highest quality relationships that we can in the midst of a mechanical rift between us? I wish I had the answer for you. I think being polite, taking the time to understand the other person's argument and, and, and letting them know that you're doing your best to understand what it is that they're saying. Spend time trying to understand them and spend time trying to communicate to them that you are trying to understand their side. That, and that it's possible that you won't agree, but that you value the relationship too much to let it stand between your friendship, your relationship, your business relationship, whatever it is, right? Don't let the social fabric that tore pre-segwit tear again post-taproot, and I'll see you on the other side. 
This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.